What is up, guys? Welcome to Juice Podcast. My name is Solomon Lee at Solomon Lee NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. Dan, how you doing? I am doing well, Solomon. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So, as everyone listening to this podcast knows by now, the Houston Rockets have agreed to a deal in principle with former Boston Celtics head coach Ime Udoka. Uh, this is the quickest head coaching search the Rockets have had uh, since 1982, so 40 years. It, it took only two weeks, uh, and that was reportedly for a reason. According to multiple outlets, including the Houston Chronicle, uh, Udoka qu- quickly became the Rockets' prime target early on in this process. Uh, let's start there, Dan, because all along we had heard about Houston's interest in Nick Nurse, right? Then Nurse gets fired in Toronto, and don't, they don't even interview Nick Nurse. Right, they make the hire two days after it becomes clear that Udoka was going to be the front runner in Toronto. It's hard to believe that that's a coincidence. I feel like Houston wanted to lock Udoka up before he even got the chance to interview uh, with Masai. Is that kind of what you thought when this went down? Uh, yeah, I think it was. I don't know if it was curious that they made the decision so quickly. I was actually a little bit surprised that Udoka was knowing how sought after he was with other positions, including Toronto's wasn't going to wait for the market to, to develop. Um, but I could see Houston surveying the coaching market, seeing that look, as of now, Nick nurse and Udoka are the two top candidates from a basketball perspective that are available. And there could be other jobs, glitzier jobs that open up depending on what, how the playoffs and, and if you can get one of them now, uh, why not bag them? But the swiftness with which they operated, unless it was communicated to them that Nick Nurse didn't really have any interest in the position, um, it does lead me to believe that okay, maybe Udoka was just their their first choice after all. Yeah, I think it's I think that's looking like it's the case. Um, and you know, I don't know, maybe they use Nurse as a stocking horse. God knows, but it it, it was a uh, it, it it was. A, like a continuous cycle of leaks with the nurse and the Rockets, and and it just became okay. Udoka's their guy, and not only was he their guy, apparently he's been their guy all along, and that's a surprise to me. And I live in Houston, uh, but yeah, I mean I, he's been their guy all along. Apparently, to their credit, um, he was one of the, the most sought after names on the market, and he is going to cost a significant amount of money, right? I think we're talking eight figures here on an annual basis, right? This is an organization that tried to negotiate with Mike D'Antoni, right? In the middle of their, you know, title run, right? Their, you know, title sought after run, whatever, right? And I thought that was a disgrace, right? I thought I thought that yeah. was kind of disrespectful to D'Antoni and what he'd done here in Houston, that they were penny-pinching with him. Um, so I think, you know, this appears to be a learned lesson on the ownership's part. Like, they're gonna, they're probably gonna fork over some serious uh, cash, for Udoka, and I, I give them some credit for that. But I also got asked about this on on radio yesterday, and it's one hundred percent going to be asked at Ime's introductory press conference whenever that happens. This is a guy who was issued a year long suspension after the Celtics reached the NBA Finals. That's a pretty severe punishment. I've never seen that before. We come to find out that he had an extramarital affair with a Celtics staffer. We're still hazy on some of the details of that stuff, including who the woman was. Was the relationship relationship consensual? But it's clear that Ime made some inappropriate remarks. Uh, a law firm looked into this for the Celtics, and they came to the conclusion that he had to be suspended. He just could not stay there for that season. This was obviously not a good, great look for Udoka. In fact, the Nets chose to go with Jock Vaughn as their head coach because they were worried about the optics of hiring uh, Udoka. 
Listen, I said this on last week's show. Out of all the people Houston could have possibly hired, this was going to be the one that received the most criticism. Because if you're going to hire Ime, you better damn well, A, do your due diligence, figure out what the hell happened in Boston, make sure it's not going to happen again in Houston, and B, be ready to explain yourself at the press conference. Is that kind of how you feel, Dan? Yeah, for sure. And I think, look, we still don't know enough of the details. And I Woj, I think... Uh, laid it out in his report, I guess, as much or as, you know, comprehensively as we've known publicly to date, um, everything that you mentioned. But the question still looms as to what was exactly said or done that a franchise felt comfortable suspending him for an entire year and ultimately moving on for him, but it didn't disqualify him is the the way that Woj framed it. The Rockets found nothing disqualifying in their investigation of what took place in Boston. And I think the two things you mentioned, one of them for me is that there needs to be some accountability and explanation in the press conference. This can't be circa blazers a couple years ago with Neil O'Shea and Chauncey Billups up there on the podium, looking like a bunch of stooges providing no answers and saying, trust us, trust us, trust us. That's not, that's not fair because and my second point would be regardless of how much people want to downplay what took place between Udoka and a subordinate. And look, the power dynamic at play that is serious and worth its own discussion. There were female staffers in the Celtics organization that suffered online, at the very least, harassment from people who were trying to do their own, you know, their, their own investigation on Twitter or social media and trying to figure out who it was that Udoka had the extramarital affair with. And so there were consequences, not just for Udoka here, where it's oh he's already you know, paid his punishment, he's atoned, like he lost his job at the Celtics, yada, yada, yada. This impacted people other than himself. And so I am very, I guess, morbidly interested to see if the press conference is going to provide any air of clarification here, or if, as I suspect, just because this is what we know about how the way the league and a lot of the teams operate, if there's going to be this cloak of trust us, this deflection of we did our investigation, um, we didn't find anything that dissuaded us from moving any further with Udoka and that's supposed to be that because that that's frankly unacceptable uh these organizations haven't earned the benefit of the doubt in this regard and that look that includes the Celtics who just said that they were heartbroken for everything that happened and then proceeded just to not um provide any real transparency there I understand there might be some legal issues still at play and so could that impact it but like there needs to be some iota of transparency and of course just sincerity behind whatever accountability he's going to take uh in that in that press opening press conference yeah i should say this uh and you kind of touched upon it right jonathan fagan and Woj reported that the rockets did um you know look into it they reached out to the league office to you know read the celtics report of the incident i think they even you know reached out to the celtics they asked adam silver if they'd be allowed to consider email before they even started their process uh, and apparently they were given the green light uh, per Fagan's reporting. Uh, Silver basically said that the Celtics haven't communicated anything with the league office to suggest that Ime should have been suspended longer than a year. So I guess that's somewhat reassuring. But nonetheless, the Rockets still have to be, pre- be prepared for the question. And they cannot answer it, as you said, like like the Trailblazers did with Chauncey Billups. Like, the response from Ime cannot come off as a defensive you just can't you can't you can't do that you can't justify you can't none of that like it has to be like that's about the last thing you can do in a situation like this you have to take responsibility you have to show remorse 
you have to show growth, and you have to take on a tone that reassures all the capable women that you're going to be working with in the Rockets organization that this will never happen again. Yeah, I think look, that's exactly what everyone should expect. I just, we have evidence, not just from the Blazers or even the Celtics, but all these other teams, that there's going to be a lack of accountability or transparency here. And I don't want to put necessarily words in Yudoka's mouth. Um, and he hasn't spoken publicly as far as I know since uh, he was suspended and ultimately dismissed by the Celtics. Um, so you would like to hope that he wants to explain or you know be held accountable here. And I do believe that, I do believe in redemption. I think that we sometimes are too quick to just um, assume that one mistake seems to trivialize what's happening here, but one, you know, one error here and as major as it was can define an entire person's life. And I, I do believe in redemption, but I also believe that you have to show atonement for it and accountability for it. I just don't think we've seen that yet. And like I said, I'll be, this is, it doesn't, it's not a comment on how capable he is as a head coach, which we saw what he did with the Boston Celtics. He was deemed a, a defensive mastermind there as well. Um, I just, my expectations for that press conference are incredibly low, just based off, not again, specifically Udoka himself or even the Rockets organization, but what we've seen in similar situations in the past. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Like, I think you have to show some atonement. And I, I think um, there can't be any wiggle room in your, in your, I, I, you know, you, you can't, here's what I'll say. You can't show full transparency in like telling exactly what happened, right? Because then you know it's not just you involved with the incident it's someone else right you 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 want you you want to be sensitive to that right but you have to show some transparency you have to show you know you have to prove to the media there that this is not going to happen again and i don't i don't mean to pour cold water on this hire because i know rockets fans listening to this and you know i've seen on twitter all day um they're very excited about this hire and they should be right like as you just said like this is a guy who made the nba finals right this is a guy um, who is highly sought after on the coaching market, right? The, the the reason he's going to get paid a heavy sum of money is because a lot of organizations wanted to hire him, right? Including the Toronto Raptors, including uh, the, the Brooklyn Nets at one point, right? The Boston Celtics hired him, right? Like, these are like credible organizations, right? Like, the, the, this, these aren't dummies running these organizations. Like, they clearly feel like this is a qualified individual, uh, this is a pop guy, right? So let's get into the basketball end of things. I, I, I just, I just feel like you have to also, you have to preempt all this discussion with, with that, right? You have to talk about the incident. You just can't brush over it because we still don't know what happened. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the extent to which we talked about it. Like, I think it's more to the discussion, but there is a basketball element to this, and it's, you know, I, I think it's tough to separate the, you know, as they say, separate the art from the artist here. Um, but the basketball ramifications are worth their own discussion because mm-hmm. he was, again, just the, the head coach for a team that, that made the finals. And he was, look, as from a Rocket-centric perspective, he I would argue, if you gave every front office truth serum, um, that he was the most sought-after coaching prospect on the market right now. Like by, I would say, leaps and bounds. And maybe there are some teams, including the Nets, clearly, that didn't think that um, they were ready to tie themselves to him at least so soon after what happened in Boston. But I think Houston can look at this as a basketball victory in the sense that I would assume he would have had his pick of other franchises, including maybe Toronto. Um, and he decided to latch on to the Rockets, which after the, the kind of year that they had where it feels like it was stop and start and progress really stalled and that you didn't see much of it throughout the year, maybe until the, the tail end. 
I, I think that that's huge from them, again, from a purely basketball perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, the Rockets have for, this market hasn't had um, to do that kind of a victory lap since they, you know, since Chris Paul chose them. Right. Or, or like Dwight Howard. Right. Like it happens like they've gotten lucky over the last you know decade or so. But it, it, it's not something that's guaranteed that you're going to you, you're going to land the biggest fish on the market. And they did that. Right. But, you know, I, I do want to kind of get, get into my thoughts on this here on this hire. Uh, so to be honest, even if I were just basing my preference on this job on on-court resume alone, Ime would have been third or fourth on my list, and he wouldn't. He would not have been number one. Um, I dr- I dropped him down to fifth because of the off-court stuff. Uh, I had Frank Vogel and Nick Nurse um, kind of above him, and I had Kenny Atkinson sharing a tier with Udoka and Scott Brooks. I think this is a solid hire. I'm sat. I'm satisfied with it, but the brevity of his resume is kind of what gives me pause. Like he's only coached one year in the NBA. No matter how successful that year was, it's still one year. And I think we kind of can't brush over that. Like at the end of the day, this this does check the three boxes I cared the most about for this job. You know, one, he has head coaching experience. Two, he has successful head coaching experience. Like this isn't Jim Boylan. Like this is like a serious person, right? Three, he's displayed an ability to connect with players and help them reach the next level of their career, which for a rebuilding team is extremely valuable. And when I was looking at the qualities for this job, like Ime does have all three of those qualities. And like, that's kind of all you can ask for, in my opinion. But that's just me. Like from a basketball perspective, what did you think of the hire? Again, you mentioned that um, you did think that he was the high, the highest sought after name, but like what makes him so highly sought after? What? Why is why do all these teams want Ime Doka? So I think two things that stood out to me, and a lot of it's based off his tenure in Boston, is that he figured how to fashion an offense uh, around players where you weren't dealing with these high-level, three-level scorers who are also these elite pick-and-roll passers when you see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And then when you have Marcus Smart, who's probably an underrated pick-and-roll passer, he's not this super three-level scorer. And so he figured out an offensive system that was inevitably able to not just work, but thrive for a lot of instances while being pretty jump shot dependent, but also independent of sort of one of those, you know, I don't want to use the word, the words pure point guard because I hate that, but sort of a truer floor general. And we saw Tatum improve as a passer there. I think we saw Smart improve as a passer uh, as well during his time. And then there was also the defensive shift where he had the Celtics were a joke at the start of the season because they were switching everything, and I think they were getting burned. But he was eventually able to settle that down. He was credited with the move to have Robert Williams III become like sort of this roving rim protector that would duck in from the corners and really just stymie these point-blank attempts. And so I think it shows an ability to adapt to his personnel. And you could then look at it the other way, though, and say, just concern-wise, um, he moved, you know, Al Horford comes back to Boston in uh, a role that was much different from when he left, where it's you're not running a lot of stuff through him um, at the nail or having running a ton of dribble handoffs. You're using him specifically as a floor spacer. Now, is he going to be able to adapt to the Rockets personnel where I think that you don't want to use Alperen Shangun like that? And then we also have to you know, wait and see who do they wind up with in the lottery. They should have a, a premier pick, but that'll be a, a further test where I think we did see him adjust to Boston's personnel, but it's also, I would argue, much easier to implement adjustments when you're dealing with sort of seasoned high-level talent as opposed to, I don't want to say a blank slate in Houston, but a roster right now that is filled with, uh, if not unknowns, then really players, important, critical players who are still projects. Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum was 24 
when Ime Doka got the job, right? Like Jalen Green is 21, right? Like, the, the, there's a significant experience gap there, right? Like, like he, he took over a roster that was closer to being ready to go than the, what the Rockets are right now, right? And I think you look at uh, the roster up and down, like that's kind of why we're kind, we're going to be kind of testing his player developmental chops, right? His player development chops. Like I think this, this is kind of what I'm most uh, curious to see. It's like, how can he help Jalen reach the next level? How can he help Alperin Shengun reach the next level? How can he help Jabari Smith Jr. reach the next level, right? If the Rockets land someone that's not Victor Wembanyama, how is he going to help them reach the next level, right? Like, I think those are all things that I think are very important that I'm, I'm going to be watching for. And, and you know, how, how we can help these guys form structures, right? Like, I think, like, my biggest irritation with the Rockets was, like, there was never consistency in lineups and rotations and there wasn't that much structure right like there wasn't a I, I i never understood what they were trying to do on the defensive end of the floor like i never understood what their objective was whereas when i watch a mike boonhoser team i know what they're trying to do right like i know that they're going to allow a, a high volume of threes i know that they're going to block off the paint and they're going and you know they're they're going to live with those threes and like when i watch the rockets it's like I think they were trying to do that. I don't know if they were trying to do that for certain. Like, I think they were trying to do that because that's what Steven Silas told me they were trying to do, right? Like, like I, I don't watching them. It never felt clear that they were trying that they were actually accomplishing any of what their objectives were, or if they were going about trying to accomplish those objectives the right way, right? It was just kind of a hodgepodge of young talent in that way. Uh, watching them night in and night out. On both ends of the floor, I'm just pointing out defense because that's the easiest to kind of you know talk about. But in terms of like what the Rockets were trying to do night in and night out, it was kind of a mystery. And with Ime in in Boston, it was never a mystery, right? Like he, like his his team identities were clear. Now, part of the reason his team identities were clear were that he had incredibly like well equipped defensive personnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that they could switch. One through five because they had Marcus Smart, because they had Jason Tatum, because they had Jalen Brown. You can't do that with Kevin Porter Jr. You can't do that with Jalen <laughs> Green. You can't do that with Alperin Shangun. So how he constructs a defense around these guys is going to be interesting. But I, I think there's going to be an overall structure. Yeah, and I do. I didn't love that this term was coming out. Uh, I think it was used most at the athletic when Udoka made the hire, but that what stands out about his style is accountability. And so maybe that should actually inform what we expect from him during his, his press conference. But you saw like in sort of real time, just Steven Silas losing the grips of this runaway train. And I actually don't, I know you were pretty critical of him. I think all of it was fair. I don't think that he was just put into like a great position to succeed. But if you need someone who can come in and bring an air of discipline and you've, you know, you've mentioned the word structure, not just on the court, but off it to where players understand what's expected of them or that they're okay. Let's just say that the rotations remain inconsistent or experimental, which is possible because maybe they don't go out, spend all their cap space, make trades and try to be this really good team right away, even though they don't have their draft pick uh, next year. And you need guys who are on board with that level of inconsistency as long as you can understand the shape and form of the vision. And again, I think it's so much easier to deliver that message when, as a franchise in Boston, you had one clear overarching vision endgame. That was to contend for a title. 
in Houston, regardless of how much talent they add this offseason, it's probably going to be drastically different and open for interpretation. So I think it does represent this new challenge. But based off what people around the league have said about how he comes in and handles talent, um, I do think that bodes well for a franchise that definitely needs not just that structure on the court, but off it. Right. And and I, I do want to clarify kind of one thing I, I meant about con- the consistency, right? Like the lineups don't have to be consistent as long as the logic behind the lineups are consistent, right? As long as I understand why you're kind of experimenting, as long as I understand. Less Dacia Knicks is what you're saying. Basically. Yeah, yeah, it, yes, yes, absolutely. Lots less of Dacian Knicks. No Dacian Knicks. Like, off. Let's just, let's just dispense with that. Let's not do that again. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, look, the accountability thing, as you mentioned, the Rockets might have also been trying to get someone who would have gravitas with not just youngsters, but maybe veterans, because we do know when you look at their cap space, when we look at their draft pick situation, there is a chance that this team attempts to accelerate its position uh, in the Western Conference, not just, you know, semi-shortly, but immediately when looking at this offseason. And so is Steven Silas or would another first-time head coach, and as small as the sample is for Udoka, like he just took the Celtics to the finals, would that resonate as much with premier free agents or veterans that they're trying to attract? And at least, again, from the basketball perspective, there are players that are concerned with the off-court stuff. I would get it. Um, But to see that the Rockets have someone in place like Udoka with the track record that he has with uh, steering players, making changes towards a winning basketball team at at a high level, I would think that makes Houston more appealing to players that who aren't currently on their own roster. I think out of all the coaches they could have possibly hired to be a free agent draw. Now, I, I, it's hard to be a free agent draw as a head coach, right? Let's be right. clear about that. But out of all the guys that could have been, Emay's probably number one, right? Like players love this dude, right? Jason Tatum called him his favorite coach uh, of all time, right? This is a guy who played for Coach K, Brad Stevens. Um and uh, I'm I'm forgetting the last name Joe um Missoula, Missoula. Excuse me, Joe Missoula. Yes, right. These are some really excellent coaches, right? And he, out of all those guys, he said Ime was his favorite, right? And like the Boston guys up and down the roster swore by the dude, right? Um, I I think some of he, some of them were like even even felt betrayed when he went for the Brooklyn job, right? Like they were like. Wow, like he didn't wait out a suspension. Like, like they, they, like that. That's how close they felt to the dude, right? That they felt like a personal, like uh, it, it felt like an affront on them when he when he went to go pursue other jobs, right? So, like that's powerful, man. Like, and I think when you look at guys on the market, you, when you talk, you're talking about their sixty million dollars in space. You know, it's interesting. Like, I'm I'm not sure what James Harden's opinion on Ime Doka is. Like, he's never expressed that. He's he's expressed what his opinion on. Nick Nurse was right. Like he found Nick Nurse to be impressive, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I I don't know what he thinks of Ime Doko, But I, I I gotta imagine that if he goes around and asks these other players, he's gonna hear positive feedback. Um, and this stuff with with the, the James Harden stuff starting to heat up. By the way, we talked about this last week. I mean, Woj said um, on his podcast that you know Harden's future in Philly is is pretty uncertain. Uh, Houston is very much in play. 
And he thinks that a lot of what happens in the playoffs is going to determine what happens with James Harden. I think, uh, first of all, like, yeah, duh, right? Like, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, of course it will, right? Um, but I am curious as to, like, what, like, what specifically, like, in what direction does that work, right? Like, does that mean, like, if Harden wins a championship, he can more easily walk away? Or is does that mean, like, hey, if we don't, if you don't make it all the way to the top, I'm just going back to Houston, right? Like, I, like, I, I am curious as to which way that cuts, Right, because I don't think, I to be frank, I don't think Harden even knows yet, like where where he's gonna go this offseason. I, I don't think he'll he know he'll know until that feeling at the end of the playoffs, whether that's ho- hoisting up a championship and feeling relieved, or f- getting eliminated in round two by the Celtics and feeling disappointed. I don't know which way that cuts. I wouldn't know either, and I think you probably mentioned that that Harden might not know himself, and there's an argument to be made for. For either way like if, if you win a championship it validates yourself and it makes it easier to go someplace you're happy and if that's houston um that could be harden uh but you could also say well if they lose does he if philly loses earlier than expected in the second round against boston let's say or if, even if they make it to the conference finals or losing the finals does still the pressure of not having one um just lead you to say hey i want to go to houston where i'm still happy and if i win a title there it just means more because look at where they're at at the moment and if i don't well at least i'm somewhere where I apparently didn't want to leave uh, too badly in in the first place. So I, I, I honestly don't know. My guess would be that he doesn't even know, and that's why how he feels after however far the Sixers make it or however their season ends um, will play a, a huge role in shaping his decision. I would also argue, I think, how much the Sixers are willing to pay him is going to be a big deal here because if he, he just gave them a huge financial break that not only facilitated them being able to bring in P.J. Tucker and Daniel House, but it helped them just complete the DeAnthony Melton trade because of the flexibility that they were going to have over the summer. And I, is he going to expect something that's max or close to the max? I think he was a borderline All-NBA player this year. I also think that the in- increasing frequency of the lower body injuries with the hamstring and the Achilles this year is a huge red flag. He's older. And so I think that the way those negotiations go, he does sort of, in theory, have Philly in the bird rights trap. But if they're, if he has a number in mind and they're trying to get him at a similar salary to what he's making now, or maybe even less, or just you know not a substantial raise or anything close to his max, and Houston's willing to pay that just because it has more cap space than anyone in the league, unless the Jazz decide to sort of blow up their financial commitments, um, maybe that plays a role in it as well. There are so many different factors at play here, and it makes it even harder, I would argue, to discern it based off when this really started gaining traction, which was just randomly around Christmas on Christmas Day. We had heard it beforehand, but for it to become so public and like begin the the chatter then was just curious timing, and I think it makes us all sort of overanalyze every possible angle of this. Yeah, I think that was an unintended leak. Like Honestly, I don't think Harden wanted that out there. No, I think uh, that's the byproduct of his not having an agent at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say. And I think that's kind of why he hired an agent not soon right. after. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I think, um, uh, and you're right, like, like, what he gets paid is going to dictate wh- where he wants to go, like, what the Sixers are going to offer him. And I also, like, what the Sixers are going to offer him is going to, I, I would, I would think, have something to do with what happens in the playoffs, right? Because it's easier mm-hmm. to pay a guy like that his full max, 
if you're winning a championship, if you're hoisting up a championship, everything's worth it, right? It's that old Brian Windhorst thing, right? Where it's like, like once you win the championship, that Anthony Davis trade where you, that you gave up way too much for becomes worth it, right? It doesn't matter how much you overpaid for because it becomes worth it. Does that same credo ap- apply to after the fact? Can you can you then p- uh, pay a guy like that the max after you've reached the pinnacle, right? I don't know. I would assume that Maury wants to get Harden on a discount because that's kind of what I always assume with Daryl Morey, right? He's always trying to get players on discounts, right? Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, as to whether or not he's actually going to be able to achieve that, I don't think, listen, I, I I think Harden's kind of, whether it was his intention or not, he's kind of guaranteed himself a max contract. I, I think because there's a real other threat to land him, you know, like a, like if, Hard, if Houston comes in heavy, you kind of have to give him the max or... Houston gives him the max because you didn't come in heavy, right? Yes. I mean, it definitely puts pressure on the Sixers because I think you could look at it as previously, well, where is he going to go? All these teams that have cap space aren't on his timeline. They either won't want him or he won't want to go to him. And now that there's this real existential threat, if it's going to be a situation where he can leverage them into a max deal, which, you know, his max salary, what is it going to be, $47 million next year or whatever it is, um, that I, I would think it makes it more likely that he gets that number. I would still be wildly uncomfortable paying him the uh, $46.9 million, I think, is his max exactly, um, especially over maybe over a shorter term you can deal with it, but anything over two years, it just becomes even more prohibitive. And so I'll be fascinated to see how the negotiations go or at least how the reporting goes leading into free agency when Philly's season ultimately ends. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be curious about that too. I mean, it, when I look at Houston's free agency, I don't see a, a, a player out there other than Harden that's worth giving the full max for, right? I wouldn't give the full max to Kyrie Irving. I know that sounds crazy, but I mean... That does not. Uh, Ky- that Kyrie does not sounds sound crazy. crazy to me, right? Like, I, 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 think, I think that guy is wild. I, I would not give that dude... A max contract. It's not even on a personal level. Like personally, I am I'm personally offended by some of the things that Kyrie's saying. But like just on like a a team level, the guy everywhere he goes, it it blows up. The situation blows up. It's been like that since he left Cleveland. So why would you want to take the gamble on that, right? So basically, you're left with Harden or roll over the cap space. And I'm not even sure how you're going to roll over the cap space because you have these extensions for Jalen Green coming next year right mm. so like i it, it's a very delicate balancing act and i think i would just keep an eye out on houston potentially exploring the trade market if they don't get hardened right and one of these names has been floated out there is jalen brown right not in actual rumors but in terms of the speculation mill right i mean that chatter is only going to pick up now that they've hired Eme, and it's very strange that Jalen would want out, but it's it's been out there that he, he may potentially want out. And I would think that this hiring makes the prospect of a Jalen Brown-Houston Rockets trade more likely, right? Does it not? I guess it would. I think it really just depends on, you know, whether Jalen Brown, a Jalen Brown trade is ever going to manifest. But the other thing is, is if you are the Celtics, I don't know that if you're trading Jalen Brown, to me, you're still operating on a fairly immediate timeline. You're probably not going to be interested in the future-driven package that Houston is going to propose. And so then it takes these third and fourth team 
machinations for it to to get done. I certainly don't think it hurts, um, and it could only help. But I think the big, and I don't even know if it's going to be a flashbulb moment for this because I don't think Jalen Brown will make all NBA, so he won't be super max eligible. And so if he doesn't sign an extension, it's not really a big deal because he can just simply say, well, I can sign that whenever, basically. I want to see if I can make all NBA and render myself eligible for a larger salary. Now, if he were to make all NBA and doesn't sign an extension, that's when it becomes a serious red flag about whether he wants to be in Boston. And so given that next year's a contract year, they probably have the discussion no matter what uh, in in with the Celtics regardless. Just that being said, without the, you know, if he were super, if he becomes super max eligible, it basically creates this crossroads to where if he won't sign it, then if you're the Celtics, you have to kind of accept reality of, okay, well, we're offering it to him. Why won't he sign it? And the fact that that won't be there, I think makes it harder for a trade to happen unless he's going to just flat out ask for it, which I guess is always possible. And again, even in that instance, as I mentioned before, I would just be curious as to whether Boston would be interested in straight up talks with Houston because of, of how concerned with the now they're going to be. And look, maybe they they think they can straddle kind of two separate timelines with Jason Tatum still there and having Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon and, and RW3 and Marcus Smart and that they can get young players and picks from Houston and then turn around and trade for the next superstar. But I just think given what their window is at the moment and how good Jason Tatum is right now, um, I would be fairly shocked if a straight up deal ever happened between these two teams, I think there would need to be like a third or fourth party involved. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would, I would tend to agree. I also think there's a bunch of stars that are potentially available that we aren't even talking about right now. Like I think the Clippers are going to break this up. I really do. I, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't see them bringing, running this back again. I mean, what incentive do you have to try again? Like I, I don't, I wouldn't do it. Like at this point, I would try and cash out, right? And you have these guys under contract uh, for a couple more seasons. They're, they expire at exactly the same time. I don't want the disaster scenario of them both walking away at the same time, right? I want to try and vo- avoid that as much as I possibly can. And I think you look around at teams like the Rockets, they offer an off-ramp to you to just trade these guys into space and rebuild, right? And I think... You know, it's never pretty. It's never you're not you're not gonna get back what you trade what you trade away to get these guys, right? You're not getting back the Shea Gilgis Alexander in every pick, right? Mm-hmm. But you're gonna get something, and you might get something pretty decent uh, if you de- if you decide to move before the market realizes that you're about to move. Yeah, and so that's a possibility, and you also that would be a way to I would think in theory increase your chances of landing James Harden as if yeah. you promise that there's another star coming in tandem with him via trade. Right, and that th- that's kind of what I what I was gonna get to. I was like, I think I think when you get Harden, like I, we we've we've spoken about this, this roster is gonna turn over. There's no way it's gonna stay intact exactly the same way it is. You know, maybe they decide that they try and give it like a like a six months just to see which guys they like the most and which guys mm-hmm. they want to trade away, you know? And then the ne- the year following that is when they make the real trades, you know, kind of like the like what, what the Lakers did with LeBron James, right? Like they decided they were going to they were going to land LeBron James and figure it out later. And then they figured it out later. They traded almost everybody else for Anthony Davis, right? Um but like that that's kind of what I see. I see two paths, right? I see either you 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 know, you decide right now Okay, we're gonna get James Harden. We we also want superstar X or all star Y. 
right? Or you wait till next season and you decide, okay, after giving it another year, we kind of want to keep Alperen Sengun. We kind of want to keep Jabari Smith Jr., or whoever the player is, right? But we want, we feel like we can afford to lose player Y. We, we feel like we can afford to lose player X, right? And that's when you make the trades uh, to get the star. Either way, there's no way, there's no chance in hell this roster stays intact. And I would just keep an eye on some of these teams with these stars that are available and we're not talking about them as if they're available because I guarantee you there are going to be players that are available right now I mean this summer excuse me that that we never expect we should you know probably get ahead of that because I'm telling you some of these teams are not going to are not going to run it back no and I I would be fairly surprised if the Clippers blow it up like you said just because I don't see them being able to get anything near the return that makes sense for them and it's kind of hard for them to restock and rebuild until all those picks to i think they it'll be done by 2026 but that's still three more years um but till okc convey you're absolutely right though that there will be other players who hit the trade market that we're not talking about because that happens every single summer like it wasn't we weren't talking about kevin durant as a trade guy leading into last summer and look what happened like he requested a trade rescinded it but then eventually got moved anyway and so there will be players that crop up and houston is in a position where they might be more uniquely aggressive if it's an older guy. You know, a lot of teams, everyone will look if a younger guy becomes available, but Houston, because of its own draft pick obligations and owning another team, controlling another team's draft in Brooklyn right now, um, will be more uniquely aggressive for a team in their situation than um, than others. And I think when teams are trading superstars for the most part, they like having those draft pick future-centric packages. It's just in most cases, you're sending them to a contender or should be contender to where you don't think that there's a high enough chance of those assets paying off, you know, with Houston because of some of their own young guys that are already there. And plus, if you want to short Brooklyn's long-term future, since it looks super fuzzy right now, their assets might be more appealing than if a contender is willing to put even more picks on the table. So that'll be fascinating. And I also, we haven't really, we've danced around it. I'm very curious to see how, where they land in the lottery impacts their decision-making, because I do think we might be talking about a completely different off-season approach if this is the team that when ends up with Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. By the way, where are you at number two? Like, would you go Scoot Henderson or would you go Brandon Miller? Yeah, I would go Scoot Henderson. I think Same. we've overcomplicated the discussion. I just, I've seen more of Scoot, to be fair, but I think that he's just like the clear, like, I just don't know. You're not going to replicate, like, his point of attack, passing, shot-making, rim pressure. Like, you're not going to get all of that from Brandon Miller, even if you like his positional defense more. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a Scoot Henderson guy at number two. I, I think it's close, though. I think it's closer than uh, some are making it out to be. I think I think it's uh, I think Brandon Miller made it closer than some than uh, than than Scoot Henderson thought he was going to be in the position last, uh, at the beginning of the season. But um, that, that was just a quick off ramp. I, I did want to kind of throw some of these names at you and see what you think uh, because they have sixty million dollars in space, right? And I think. I think there's a possibility they explore the trade market. I also think there's a possibility that they, they explore the restricted free agent market. So, uh, you ready to play? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Cam Johnson. We're starting to hear a lot of his name. Uh, I mean, he's super plug-and-play, so I, I would need to know the price tag. But I think I would dig it for them. It's just they feel like they have a glut. Up, like, between Cam Johnson, Jabari Smith Jr., Alperin Shangun, and... Usman, like it just feels like it gets super crowded on the front line where none of those guys are going to be playing the three. 
I'm with you. I'm I'm a little less. I'm, I'm a little cooler on on the prospect of 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 Cam Johnson than some others are, just because of that glut. Okay, Fred Van Vliet. I actually like it because I, I think it. it's yeah. relatively low risk. Get yourself a floor general who doesn't need to operate on the ball. And yes, you'd like to get more every level scoring out of your primary ball handler, but because you have Jalen Green, um, what Fred Van Fleet does defensively, what he does to play off the ball, and then what he can do at points as a creator, especially if you give him someone who will actually screen and roll, which is someone, or at least effectively pop and be a threat. And they might have two of those guys in Jabari Smith Jr. might be able to get there. And then Shangun is someone who can be a pick and pop partner long-term. I actually, I like that. It's not, I wouldn't, you know, as you mentioned, there's not really free agents you would throw the max at in this market. And he's one of them. But I think even with his age and the opportunity cost financially, I do like the idea of Fred Van Fleet because I don't think he infringes upon the development of the rest of your roster at all. And I don't, I don't think he's a waste of space either. Like I think, I think he's someone you sign and you can get him to a relatively tradable contract. And I think he's uh, because, because he like teams like him. He's good. He's really, really good. Uh, And I think, um, I think he's a, he's an adequate use of cap space if you were to ever do that. And you know, we've talked about him in the past before. I just think he makes perfect sense next to Jalen green. Okay. Let's talk trade. Mikel Bridges. Let's let's say let's say the 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 Nets are looking at their situation it looks pretty dire right now because what they finished the, the, the season with was not favorable to their neck to their future prospects. Let's say they decide screw it, we want our picks back, and the Rockets are like, we're not going to give you all your picks back, but we're going to give you we're willing to give you, we're willing to talk about it. We're willing to give you some of these picks back. Uh, we're willing to give you you know maybe two of these picks back and and maybe a swap. What would you do in that situation? I mean, if I'm Houston, I'd probably do it. I just think it's going to take like probably the equivalent of three high-end draft picks to get Mikhail Bridges. And so it's, are you going to, if you're not willing to give back, I guess you're going to give back two of the Nets picks. I'd just be curious to see how they view that transaction overall. But I, I think that you would need to give up probably like one of your more premier youngsters um, in a deal for Mikhail Bridges because of how quickly his start. Like he held up as a number one option and you don't want him to be a number one option, but it made you think, well, that's someone now who could be a number two option on a really good team based off what he did in the playoffs. I know he struggled for a little bit, but from what he did through the end of the season and at points in the playoffs, um, and he has three years left on what might be the best contract in the NBA at this point. Um, I think you're looking at, let's say two of those nets picks, maybe a swap. And then like, are you, what player are you willing to give up to to Brooklyn as part of that deal? I mean, I'm very curious to hear what you think. I think Kevin Porter Jr. Had a very strong year. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to, do you think he's the kind of player that can headline a trade like this? No, I don't, I don't just because I I think that the nets are going to want like someone better in scale. And then also it's like, he's, about like he's on his second contract it is kind of team friendly but it's just not someone that you're really i think rolling the dice on in terms of like i i just don't know what his upside would be to a roster like that and so you're probably looking at someone i think they would prefer is you know probably still on their rookie scale um given that if you are making this trade you expect the nets to tear down the the rest of their roster yeah i mean that's fair. I, if I'm giving up KPJ, I'm not sure if I'm willing to give up more than two firsts. It, uh, if 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 they want more than KPJ, yeah. So 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 then th- then I would probably propose the alternative. I, I would probably try and do three, right? Which is you know two 
two picks, two of your picks back, and one of the swaps. I'm just not giving up. I'm not willing to give up all four. I just don't think that's worth it. Uh, I, I love I love Mikael Bridges. I think right now those picks look really, really tantalizing. It's not it's not a knock against Mikael Bridges. I think it's more of a case of that that Nets situation. It's really does is really looks really dire. And if I'm the Nets, I I would think that you should value those picks more than any any other pick on the market. Um, perhaps you would have to be committed to actually tanking, and I just wonder if they have the stomach for that. But yeah, if you're really going to tear it down and start over, um, there's value in even having one of those picks back because then it, it allows you to control a level of your own fate that you do not at the moment. I think what potentially though they a team like the Rockets or another team could be up against is how desperate is it or and serious is a team like the Blazers willing to um, tailor their their squad to Damian Lillard's timeline just because they have the package of Shane Sharp plus this year's pick, which should be like fifth or whatever it is. And if they're going to put that and other stuff on the table, that's a pretty high benchmark, even if you're willing as Houston to give some of those Nets picks back. All right, last one. And I kind of snuck this in here because I think it's one of those trades that I don't think is possible right now because I don't think this is where Masai's headspace is at. But... I think Pascal Siakam is a name that could become on the block within the next six months. And if I'm Houston, I think that's a pretty nice name to slide alongside James Harden if you end up getting lucky and landing James Harden. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he becomes available at all just because there's so many contract decisions to be made in Toronto that even if you're not looking for the full-scale rebuild, like could you just decide to say, hey, we don't want to pay his next contract. He's going to be a free agent after next season. I believe he's extension eligible. Now he shouldn't be super max eligible. Cause I don't think he makes all NBA, um, but you kind of look at his age and say, do we just move forward with Barnes and OG and picks that we can get from Siakam? And so it's not like a full tilt rebuild, but it is sort of rebuild. Maybe they even keep Pirtle in that situation. So it wouldn't shock me if he became available and the Rockets in theory would have one of the better packages to give up. If Toronto is not looking for these, you know, a return built around veterans, which again, I don't think, they would be. He would be an interesting fit. I'm just, what are the players you're giving up? Like, who do you like in, like, do you want him working with Jabari Smith Jr.? Or are you just resigned to, hey, we're sending him to Toronto as part of that package? I think you're going to have to probably send either Jabari or Shengun as part of that package. And I, I, it would really hurt Jabari's me. Jabari's more of Toronto's speed, too, if I had to guess. It would really hurt me to give up Shengun. Um <laughs> It would, it would, it really would. Like I, I might lose sleep over that, but um, you know, I would have to consider it if I have James Harden, right? Like that's the kind of trade you make after you land James Harden. I think. Are you giving up this year's draft pick though in that deal? This year's draft pick depends on what the draft pick is. It's not Wemby. <laughs> right. You're not trading it if it's number one. like any team that has the number one pick. It would be. I'm sure we'll get a report that they're that someone's open to anything, but that's just bullshit. You're not trading it if you have Wemby, but if you had. You know, two or three. Like, is that a pick you're willing to trade for Pascal Siakam? I don't want to say this because if I if I say it, then then, then Rockets fans are going to be on my <laughs> right. I'm not sure, right? I think about it. I would th- I would think strongly about it if and only if I land James Harden. I don't make yeah, that. I mean, trade. that's a, if you're getting James Harden or another star, you're not just trading that pick for the yeah. sake of having you know what's the let's say the 25th or 24th best player in the NBA. Then I would consider it. I would discuss it. I would not. Like you don't don't etch me in stone on this. I want I would like to see how the roster looks after a Harden acquisition and how the how all the prospects look before I make before I make that kind of a commitment. And I imagine the Rockets would too. I think this is the kind of trade you make actually in season, right? I don't think this is the kind of trade you make unless 
Toronto is willing to give you a sweetheart deal. Uh, and I, I don't think Masai is going to do that for you. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't think this is the kind of deal you make like until the trade deadline. Because I think the, the Raptors aren't 100% sure that they're going to blow it up. The Rockets, I think, would want to see who they're willing to give up. And they'd want to see give some of these young players more runway to give to figure out, okay, who's expendable, who's not. And I think you know once you figure that out, once you've collected that last bit of data, then I would have a conversation. Yeah, I think I would too. And it's it would come down to whether you're getting James Harden or, let's say, someone else. I mean, it'd be really funny if they signed Fred Van Fleet and trade for Pascal Siakam. That would be objectively funny. But If, if, if they get all three? Yeah, I mean, is no, that even, all, I, no. I don't even think it's all possible. It's not possible. No, it's just, not possible. If, they, yeah. if, like, say Harden stays in Philly and then Houston just sides Fred Van Fleet and decides, oh, if Siakam's available, like, yeah, we'll just – well, we think we can be better with Siakam and Van Fleet than the Raptors did. I don't think they would go there, but it would just be hysterical if that's what happened. Yeah, that 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 would be – you know, I mean – I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on what happens this summer, right? Like, that's really going to dictate – like, Harden, the lottery, these two things. I mean, the coaching search is already done. Like, that was the big box that they checked. And I think – that they hired a pretty respectable name. But now you have more dominoes left to fall this offseason for the Rockets, and I'm and it's going to be very interesting which way they lay. Yeah, I'm so curious as to how committed to this immediate direction they are. Because I think you look at the circumstances of their draft pick, draft picks moving forward, excuse me, the fact that they control another team's draft, the fact that they have all this cap space, the fact that we're now in what? you Going into year four of what would be a rebuild after this? All signs point to them just being ultra aggressive, but it's also going to be dictated by not just the outcome of the lottery, but the market. Because who's going to actually? I mean, like we just went through basically all the best free agents just by talking about Harden, Kyrie, and Van Fleet. And so, like, you're not going to be the team that like you're going to be the team that talks yourself into PJ Washington. Like, you're you're probably not going to be that team, and that's not going to do anything for you anyway. And so, if if you're not going to make this huge splash in free agency, the trade market then sort of has to dictate how much urgency you can act with. And there is no, we would expect a big name to become, and I would expect multiple big names to become available, but do any of them make sense for the Rockets is a different story. And it's just, there's so many questions that need to be answered for us to even get to like the next layer of answers where it's okay. Well, first, where do they land in the lottery? Okay. Well, what happens with James Harden? Okay. If it's not going to be James Harden, then who, and then who are you getting via trade? And it's just, there are just so many layers to this Rockets off season that it's almost like it can give you a headache if you sit there and analyze it too much. I wrote this a few months ago, but you are correctly identifying why this is the most important offseason for the Rockets since they originally landed James Harden. Because that summer was bad crazy, right? They went after Dwight Howard. They went after Andrew Bynum. They went after everybody. They traded everybody. They stripped the entire roster down. They landed Jeremy Lin and Omar Ashik, and they said, we're going to rebuild around these two, right? Basically saying, we're, we're going to tank, right? And then before the season starts, they get the Harden trade done. But that's that's the level of criticalness, I would say. Is criticalness a word? Whatever. That's the level of criticalness that this offseason holds, right, for the Rockets. Like, it, it is massive, and I think they're going to be, just me projecting, right? I'm obviously biased. I think they're going to be one of the more exciting offseason teams, right? I think they're going to be a story that sneaks up on people because people don't really understand how critical of an offseason this is for the Rockets. You you do. I think you understand. I don't know if the rest of the NBA intelligentsia does yet. I think that's going to catch up on some people. Even if they don't, though, 
like you just have to look at the cap space landscape. Like, oh, Houston can get up to sixty million dollars in room. Basically, they're going to do something. I mean, like I just like, what if they're just the team that decides, hey, we're going to pay Draymond Green a ton of money, and he's going to play with James Harden, or maybe they trade for Jalen Brown, or like, I there is everything for Houston is on the table for me, which is why I find them so fascinating. And I agree with you that it um, that the criticality of this offseason is absolutely through the roof. But I think even removing the the long-term stakes from the equation or all the background you laid out, they're a team that has been rebuilding for a while now without showing, I would say, material progress, at least in terms of their finished product. They just hire this new coach and they have all this cap room and they have all this urgency, um, you know, have all these factors that are driving urgency. There's, there's nothing you could tell me, I don't think, that would get me to say, oh, the Rockets absolutely just wouldn't do that and that's how i'm sort of viewing their off seasons i'm just bracing myself for anything including myriad scenarios that i probably can't even fathom at the moment so criticality was the word okay i can't believe i missed on that like i, I missed on aberration earlier that was the word i was looking for by the way aberration not i don't know professional sports writer whatever <laughs> it is going to be nuts it is going to be nuts starting with the lottery next month i mean this this coaching hire made headlines i i can't wait I can't wait. Thank you so much for previewing this this with me, Dan. I mean, I, 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 I'm looking forward to bringing you back on after this is all over and talking about what the hell happened or didn't happen. <laughs> right. Like, how does did this all end with, like, Anthony Edwards somehow on the Houston Rockets? Like, I just, I won't rule anything out at this point. Or Anthony Davis. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or LeBron. Yeah. LeBron uh, and Harden. I mean, like, I just, I won't rule anything out right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dan. Uh, where can we, where can the people find you on Twitter and read your work? Well, one, and most importantly, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. And two, they can find me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. And if they're looking to check out some general at NBA talk at large that never takes itself too seriously, the Hardwood Knox podcast, in my totally unbiased opinion, is a fantastic NBA podcast. And you can find it spelled exactly as it sounds at hardwood Knox, or just search hardwood Knox into youtube or wherever you get your podcast and we will come up that is Knox, as in knocking on a door not kevin Knox. so it's different spell oh god spell different yeah we started the podcast before he existed so yes. that would have been it and if anyone named their podcast after kevin Knox, i have questions many questions maybe there's a Knicks podcast out there who knows <laughs> who knows i will talk to you down the road my friend talk to you soon Zombie.